Barukim Habayim to the Bet Midrash for Parsha and more. And in Eretz Yisrael, they are studying Parsha Behar. So one of our very own, Hadas, may she live and be well, her Torah portion is actually double, which is Behar Behukotai. So in the Israel environment, she's kind of celebrating her uh, Torah portion, and it was really cool having her Gregorian birthday this week. So shouts out to our fellow sister, and I want to welcome everyone tonight. I want to go ahead and start off with the blessing before studying the Torah, and then we have a few things to look into and talk about. So I don't know if the live stream will catch up, but either way. We are recording via Zoom, so uh, we'll we'll do it that way. Uh, as far as the video, so go over here, share my screen. If you have your art scrolls to the door, the blessing is found on page seventeen. We'll be reciting the Ivrit found on page sixteen. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Olam. Asher kirshanum be mitzvotav betzibanu lasok be divrei Torah veharevna Adonai Elohenu et divrei Torah teka befinu ufi amka beit Yisrael v'niye anachnu vetze etze enu vetze etze eyamka beit Yisrael kulano yodei shmeka velamde Torah teka lishma baruch atah Adonai hamlamet Torah leamo Yisrael. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bachar banu mikol haamim, venatan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai noten ha-torah. Mashiach now. Want to send uh, prayers and uh, thoughts to our very own uh, Hadassah's neighbor, Miss Joyce, and to our very own fellow Mishpaka. Uh, the Joneses, so specifically Tommy, may he live and be well, and want to lift both of them up for continued healing. So this class, as we are learning, may the merits of our learning bring healing to each of them. Can you hear us all? Okay, so first thing I want to do is read from Pure K of Votes. So uh, I have the uh, Art Scroll Masora series. Uh, there's the Anaf Eitz Avot, which is my favorite so far. Uh, and there's a whole lot more out there. Uh, the Maharal of Prague has a beautiful one. So um, yeah, so get your commentary on with the Pirkei Avot. So during the time from Pesach to Shavuot, uh, each of those particular weeks and on Shabbat during the Menka time is when you want to make sure you take a moment to study Pirkei Avot and not so much to get through them because the thing is we have this, uh, this thing where we want to accomplish a lot but do the text and do the insights that we read get through us. That is a huge thing to pay attention to and I want to encourage everyone on that to make sure that Pure Kea Vote is getting through you, as opposed to you getting through Pure Kea Vote. So it's really cool to have discussions on this. It's also really amazing to take this to Hashem in prayer, especially when you read a lot of what we're studying in Pure Kea Vote, it's great to pray it out. 
to make sure that it really anchors into who you are. And as we ended the drosh on last Shabbat, uh, it was very um, impactful to me because one of the things that I've been feeling lately is what it's what it truly means to be a Talmud of Mashiach Yeshua. Like he says, we are to be known by our love. And sometimes I kind of feel like, do, do I understand what love is? And it's amazing that in uh, right Hashem, anyway, this week's Drosh, Mr. Rav Dessler, Alava Shalom, uh, has an amazing section on that about how to love. So Bezrat uh, Hashem will get into that and just a whole lot of Musar things. So, with that being said, just uh, as far as trying to make sure that we're really taking everything in and causing it and letting it transform us is a is a big big thing so don't take your pure care vote readings lightly don't take the insights for um all kind of sparks and and things like that i don't think anyone is doing that but it's just one of those things where you know we should we should be mindful especially during this time it's a very serious time the Spirata Omer, as we're counting up the Shavuot, historically dangerous. And if we're not careful with how we're treating each other, which basically is a reflection of how we're treating ourselves, if we're not doing these things, we're setting ourselves up for a lot of disaster. So what we want to do is overturn that and turn it up. So I'm all about turn up. And I want to encourage everyone to do that. So um, and Devorah, may she live and be well, is mentioning in the chat that Rabbi Kaplan, may he live and be well, has a, uh, I guess, a class or some kind of podcast or videos uh, on Pirkei Avot. Okay, cool. Yeah. So check out Rabbi Kaplan's Pirkei Avot teachings, and it's on Chabad. So Rabbi Kaplan, Pirkei Avot, Chabad. Uh, and that'll be the best way to search it out. So tonight, I wanted to pick one um, from the Pirkei Avot to go through, and I picked Chapter 2, Mishnah 4. This is a huge thing. Uh, so it says, he used to say, treat his will as if it were your own will, so that he will treat your will as if it were his will. Nullify your will before his will so that he will nullify the will of others before your will. So this is kind of uh, a colloquial saying, actually, you know, if you want Hashem to do something, you know, for you, then are you doing something for him, you know, or make his will your will, you know, and his will to become, you know, your will. So it's like these things um, are actually spoken quite a bit, you know, and here's the source. And it goes into a lot more um, detail than that. But the word that I wanted to focus on, uh, I wanted to focus on two particular words, the word make and the word nullify. The word for make is the word asa or ase. And that 
is the word that we use for making the Shabbat. We say la'asot ha-Shabbat. We are to make the Shabbat. If you've been studying in Parsha and more this week, you learned that the festivals are elucidated in this Parsha. They're also elucidated in Parsha Pinchas. So between these two different Torah portions, you get a lot about the festivals and actually scattered throughout other parts of the Torah are other mentions of the festivals as well. But the insight, particularly in this particular Torah portion about the festivals, the, the convocations that we're to have is all about us making them holy, sanctified, consecrated. Hashem is like, here are the festivals that are appointed, but I'm going to need you to make them happen. In other words, we have to have some investment into it. We have to prepare is basically what Unkelos used with the understanding of what it means to make the festival. Preparing our heart and preparing our mind. This is the other reason why 30 days before a festival, we want to make sure that we're studying everything that goes with that festival. What it, what's, what's involved with Shavuot? What day is it on? Uh, what's special and significant to the particular Yom Tov. So, you know, with Pesach, it was about the matzah, you know, with Shavuot, it's about the Torah study, there's cheesecake, there's a whole lot more than that, you know, Sukkot, you're putting up a sukkah, Hanukkah, you're lighting the Hanukkah, you know, all these different things. So making is a part of the preparation process and particularly what you're doing with your mind and with your heart. And then the other thing to look at as well, as far as this word for nullify, is the word batel. So we've learned in previous teachings, mebatel Torah, which is nullifying yourself to the Torah. So everywhere that the Torah teaches and directs and guides our lives, we want to make sure that the fullness of expression of the Torah as possible, we're making that happen. So this week, we're learning about gentle speech and our teaching and in our instruction, which is the, the understanding of the word emor, which comes from the Hebrew word amar, which is to say. So everything that we do when it comes to teaching, we want to make sure that we're not coming off as harsh, that we're not coming off as boastful, arrogant, abrasive. You know, these kinds of things are very wounding and they're very damaging not only to the psyche of a person, but also to the neshama of a person. You ever wonder why you have disconnects in learning sometime? It's like, well, who's your teacher? What, what kind of uh, phraseology and what kind of vernacular is being spoken over you as you're being taught? And Pasha Amor, that's one of the first things out the gate. It's like, why are we using the word Vayomer? you know, as opposed to Vaidaber. So uh, these kinds of things are so, so important, you know, when we look at what we're uh, actually engaging into. So shouts out to Shlomo Ben Hillel, may he live and be well. He sent this beautiful uh, piece to me that I want to put up on the screen from Anaf Eights Avot. And see if I can make it full screen here and zoom it in. I got a lot of panels over here. Need to uh, 
get them out of the way so I can see. Okay, here we go. So I remember how to zoom, I think. How do we zoom? I thought I knew how to zoom. Hopefully everyone can see this. If not, where's my zoom button? You click the plus sign. Oh, it's not showing on my screen. Well, that's not cool. Come on, plus sign. Why are you hiding? <laughs> okay. Well, um, this used to work. <laughs> Hang on. Maybe. No. All right. So. We're gonna do it this way. I'll stop the share and chalk that up to technical difficulties and then go back in here and figure out why didn't that work. Well, that's interesting. What if I send it over here? Sorry, everyone, I apologize for the delay. I'll turn it into a PDF and then go from there. Boom. Documents. That didn't work either. Yay, fun times. There we go. My goodness. Patience. It's a virtue. Okay, can can everyone see that better now? Bezrat Hashem. Okay, so this is commentary on what we just read about subduing our will to Hashem. So it says, Rabbeinu Ovadia ex uh, explains as follows, he should subdue the will of other people, means that he will frustrate the plans of anyone who intends to harm you. So this is this is interesting because, you know, when people make you upset or they bother you or they hurt you, you know, we do this to someone else. It's not a direct uh, it's not a direct consequence, basically. So the best way to actually handle things that are challenging for us whether it's frustrating, hurting, all of those things we just mentioned, is to focus on your actions with Hashem specifically. Hashem, where in my life am I offending you? Where in my life am I hurting you? Where in my life am I displeasing you and irritating you? That is all connected to subduing your will, which is batel redzonecha. So as we do that, Hashem goes, okay, well then 
what's going on? Is, is someone messing with you? Let me go take care of it. So this whole thing about, you know, vindication or anything like that, we don't have to focus on taking revenge. We don't have to focus on, you know, being upset per se with other people. We can definitely understand when we have human emotion, make them valid, you know, like don't just go, well, someone hurt me and I shouldn't be hurt. So whatever, Hashem's going to hurt them. It's like, no, no, no. Register it. It it did hurt. You know, Hashem, I don't know why this happened. You know, you're bringing it to him, right? And so as you're doing this, because the other part about this is we should not take joy or any type of pleasure in the downfall of our enemies. And furthermore, what does the Torah actually tell us about our enemies? Number one, we should pray for them. Number two, if we see anything of theirs underneath a burden, we're supposed to actually go and alleviate it. And it's particularly vocalized from the Torah that if you see your enemy's donkey falling under its load, go help them. And that's just like, oh my goodness, what do you mean? So now you can see when Mashiach Yeshua was betrayed, what was the one thing that he did not do to any of them? He didn't ever go, hey guys, remember that one night we like had this wonderful Seder and we like sang the Hallel and then y'all like all turned your back on me and like left me and then I got killed. Remember that? You don't ever see an account of that. And so it's just really uh, a big thing that we're looking at. And it's almost like a superhuman thing to try to do because I don't know about uh, where everyone's level is on this, but my goodness, it's really hard to work through your emotions sometimes, especially if your emotions have been overwhelming, you're already tired, you're already stressed out, and then things happen. You're like, oh my gosh. So anyway, batel, nullifying, subduing. It says, alternatively, I've heard that it refers to a shem written as a euphemism out of respect. It means he should subdue his own will before your will. The same idea is written in Shabbat 63a. That's from the Talmud Bavli. It says, whoever fulfills a mitzvah perfectly, even if there is a heavenly decree of 70 years that stands against him, it will be rescinded. As the verse says, Kohelet 8.5, Ecclesiastes, one who fulfills a mitzvah shall know no evil. So in other words, the perfection of the performance of mitzvot tear up and nullify harsh decrees. And that is Hashem subduing his will. Because in order for us to be in this kind of posture, we've had to subdue our will. We had to stop our own plans and our own uh, track of progress that we were making and go, okay, Hashem, what is it that you require of me? and you start engaging in that. That's doing a commandment. So in the morning, as opposed to just rolling out of bed, starting to eat and driving off to work, you stop, you start reciting tefillot. You've subdued your will and Hashem now subdues his will. 
It's a, a measure for measure type thing. It says the Vilna Gaon comments upon the verse, Mishle 11, 27, Proverbs 11, 27. One who seeks good, he will be favorable to Hashem. One who seeks good will be favorable to Hashem. We pray this in the morning, Brachot. May we find favor in your eyes and in the eyes of all who see us. Well, it's kind of awkward if we're trying to find disfavor in other people or if we're doing disfavorable things in the eyes of Hashem, because now what are we setting ourselves up for? But if we're trying with all that we can to go, okay, well, right now, I really don't feel like doing this, but you know what, Hashem, I'm going to do it. And not because I need a certain thing to happen, but I'm going to do it because this is how you roll. This is how you are. You're Ish Chesed. You're a man of Chesed, which is why the picture of the Kohen Hagadol is so crucial and integral to the service in the Holy Temple. And it says, one who seeks evil, it, evil, shall come upon him. If you seek evil, if you're making disfavor to yourself or anyone around you, you will bring evil upon yourself. He says, if a person seeks good, if he occupies himself with Torah, which is called good. Now, if you've had the, the flag raise up, wait a minute, did not Mashiach Yeshua say this? Did he not say, why do you call me good? There's none good but Hashem. And now we're reading right here, occupying ourselves with good is occupying ourselves with the Torah. And not only that, it says, and with mitzvot, which are also called good. It is a good thing. And what's happening in today's society, which was already quoted by Shaul and Timothy, he said that people will call good evil and evil good. So in other words, blaspheming the commandments, finding disfavor in the commandments, finding disfavor in the Torah, speaking horribly against the Torah. So it's just really interesting that this right here is all in Proverbs. And it says, and he puts aside his own desire. What's our own desire? Which would be occupying ourselves with our business to earn a greater profit. Now, take that and expand that out as an allegory. What do we want to earn profit in in our lives? You know, like think about some things that you would desire to excel in. Maybe it's not a business. Maybe it's material things that you're after. Maybe it's, um, you know, a, a different status socially, you know, something like that, which isn't per se bad. It's, it's bad when it gets out of whack and that's all you pursue and you leave Hashem out of it. But, you know, all of these different things where wherever you're trying to excel and push Hashem away from, kind of like what was talked about in the Musar class. <laughs> so... You want to be mindful of what's pulling you to Hashem and what's pushing you away from Hashem. And it's interesting that the force of pulling you to Hashem has to do with what you're pushing down and subduing and uh, taking um, authority over in your life. And it says, then Hashem will carry out his will. 
This is as the Mishnah says, to do your will before his will, so that he shall subdue the will of other people before you. The Vilna Gaon continues, however, one who seeks evil, one who seeks to commit a transgression, evil will come upon him as a person is paid in kind for his deeds and woe is to the evildoer when this happens to him. The Vilna Gaon explains further, according to the Gemara, Getin 7a, which is another tractate of the Talmud Babli, Mar Ukva sent the following question to Rabbi Eliezer. People are rising up against me, and I have the power to turn them over to the authorities. What shall I do? Rabbi Eliezer responded with the following verse, Tehillim, which is Psalms 37.7, be silent to Hashem and trust in him, which is the word Teholel, Go early to study Torah in the Bet Midrash and stay there until late, and Hashem will turn them into carcasses, which is chalalim. Since he subdues his own desire to turn them over to the authorities, Hashem will subdue their will and prevent them from causing him harm. Now, that may seem very drastic that it says it's going to turn them into carcasses, but it's turning them into carcasses in the sense that they're now going to have no, no physical ability to do anything. In other words, the, uh, the onslaught or the assault or the oppression or anything that was happening, they become subdued now. So this is really interesting. I don't really know... Um, how to explain the uh, example I'm thinking of, but if you've ever done like scientific uh, projects or, or things like that, where you see how force and, and things work, like if you push on something and it uh, pushes away or, or if there's like an inverse reaction to something, you know, um, I'm not really sure how to really explain that. But basically what we're looking at is when you, compress yourself and you kind of go, okay, I'm going to take control of the situation by saying the things that I would desire to do, I'm going to bring them to you, Hashem, and I'm not going to act on them. So by me refraining from acting, I'm causing other people to refrain from acting. So just kind of this interesting, um, it's like a back and forth, you know, type of, uh, reaction or consequence, if you will, if that makes sense. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how to really put that because it's really mind-blowing to me that the best way to stop the onslaught is for you to not retaliate. So when you don't retaliate, the onslaught ceases. And it's not so much that you're just doing uh, some kind of general or random retaliation, but it's directed. It's very focused. Your, your uh, refraining to retaliate is the fact that you're saying, okay, I'm going to direct this to you, Hashem. I'm very hurt. So I'm going to go to the words of prayer. I'm going to go to the words of the Torah. I'm going to go and be silent before you. And as you are directing that energy that you would desire to put out, now the force of that 
actually falls upon whatever the assailant is, whether that be stress, whether that actually be other people or, e or even thoughts. You know how we have those voices in our head that it's just like, dude, why are you talking right now? Like, seriously? And it's like, that all gets like bound up and it's like, boom, it's gone. You're like, what happened? Hashem was like, well, you subdued your will. So that's, that's the result of that. So hopefully that makes sense to everyone. I know that was uh, lots of abstract in the middle of uh, hard hitting things that, you know, <laughs> we, we have to really be focused on uh, as far as when Pierre vote drops things like this, that's heavy, you know, especially, you know, as we're working on, maybe we, this is the first time we've heard this. Maybe we've heard this before. And it's like, you're seeing a new thing now. That's tough, that's challenging. So may Hashem give us the strength and the ability to, to, uh, to move forward with uh, diligence and to also be vigilant in controlling ourselves. You know, uh, my, my boss, who's like the, the main, uh, what is he called? Uh, I would basically say, let's so I work at a distribution center. He's the person who is over the distribution center. So he basically sends out these thoughts of the week. And one of the thoughts of the week that he sent out was about controlling. And he was saying that, you know, you may go through life and you, uh, find situations where you feel like, uh, I just feel so helpless. You know, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. It's like, well, what can you do? Well, you can actually make your bed. <laughs> like literally do some like chores, like go wash the dishes, go sweep the floor, go take the trash out. What can you control? And actually focus on that and the rest will take care of itself. And I was just like, that's crazy. But we just read this in Pirkei Avot about that's how we take care of, you know, oppression is to not retaliate and take it to a show. So anyway, uh, the next part is from Master Plan. So we're going to get into that just shortly. I wanted to uh, put up the schedule real quick because Shavuot is coming up. And we have a big, big meeting uh, leadership-wise uh, about what we're going to be doing with our community Shavuot-wise. We definitely have a service plan. But as far as the logistics of the uh, the the overnight tour study, and whether that'll be at shul or on Zoom, um, either way, we'll definitely Zoom it. So, and if we are at shul, we'll put it on YouTube as well. So uh, here is the calendar. We're on this lovely day right here, where last night we counted twenty four days of the Omer, and. Um, uh, Pesach Shani is coming up next week. So for anyone who didn't get to celebrate Pesach uh, like they wanted to, there's your do-over. Uh, and everything is contained in that one day. So you can still have hummets in your house. You don't have to do Pesach cleaning. You set your table and you have your seder with your matzah and your four cups of wine. You know, you go through the Haggadah, just like we did on Pesach. And there you go. So you have like, all seven days of Pesach and one right there. Um, Lagba Omer, 
So for those who are doing the, the days of mourning during this time, uh, depending on what tradition you're following, this is a pivotal day where the mourning turns to joy. So um, there's been things like not listening to music, not cutting your hair. Again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. So refer back to that class. So that's Lag by Omer. That's coming up next week. And then we got Rosh Hodesh. Well, wait, 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 wait a minute. Yom Yerushalayim, Jerusalem Day coming up. So then after Jerusalem Day, we got Rosh Hodesh Savan. It's a one-day Rosh Hodesh this time. We've been on a lot of double Rosh Hodesh days. And then um, Shavuot. And Shavuot is like in the same week as Rosh Hodesh. So basically, when we celebrate Rosh Hodesh Savan, just know it's a few days later and it's Shavuot. <laughs> so like, it's quick. And in our community, for Magni Shenu, we do encourage everyone to do the Diaspora Day. If you can, if you have to work, uh, try to do something during the day that keeps the day elevated uh, in case you're not able to uh, participate in the Shavuot activities. Which means technically there should be two all night Torah studies. I can tell you for sure I won't be able to make that because my gosh, that, that's a challenge. Trying to make it one night of all night Torah study is cray cray. But anyway, so again, but our meeting, uh, we'll be talking about it, you know, whether we do a half night or something like that, or we'll maybe have a different shift of people that can lead it, you know, and then they can run with the torch so that we're not up for 48 hours straight, even though that's super holy and sanctified. <laughs> Just kidding. That's a joke. Okay, but yes, uh, even if you can't stay up all night and study Torah on the first night, that's totally fine too. You're not a sinner because you didn't make it to dawn studying the Torah for Shavuot. It is a custom that uh, is practiced out of us originally being asleep when Hashem showed up to the mountain and like, hey guys, it's party time. And we're like, just snoozing. So anyway, um, Rabbi Palvinov, may he live and be well. He also has the Tikkun Leo Shavuot book. So if you don't have that, where he brings down the Arizal through the different parashot, so that through studying the Tikkun Leo Shavuot, you will be able to go through the whole Torah portion during the all-night Torah study. So that will be our guide for this year. And then um, we kind of have a break after that from events. <laughs> so the Svirata Omer time is very, very busy. And then we got the Tammuz Blues coming. And this year we're praying that the blue turns to Sapphire and that we see the Beta Mikdash and Mashiach because uh, we need our three weeks of mourning to become three weeks of rejoicing. That was the original intent. So if you're making plans for the summer to travel uh, during the three weeks, there's a whole thing with uh, limitations of not listening to music, certain days not drinking wine and having meat and swimming because, you know, it's pool season. So uh, be mindful of that. That is the end of July and early August. So, you know, if you're planning your vacations, try to be mindful of uh, any kind of limitations or restrictions that may occur so you don't disappoint yourself or anyone else on your trip. So 
so yeah, so I wanted to give everyone a heads up on everything. So we are a few weeks away from Shavu Oats and uh, yeah. Okay, so yeah, the Tikkun Leo Shava Oat book, I don't have it here, but I will do this uh, Google thing. Doesn't look like the uh, YouTube live is working, so I guess bummer on that one. I want to show everyone the book here, though. Tikkun Leo Shava Oats. Uh, boom, boom. In case you haven't seen the book, here it is. It is available on Amazon. Here it is. Got a, a interesting range of prices. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. And then that's what the book looks like. So I will put this link in the chat so that we have it and we can share it if anyone needs it. YouTube Life is working. Oh, it is? Yes. Thank you, eye in the sky. <laughs> Brukashim, I'm glad because, yeah, technology sometimes. Okay. Anybody have any questions on the schedule? Uh, anything that you are interested to know as far as what the plans are for Shavuot? Anyone need help on Pesach Shani or like by Omer? Any of that? Everybody good? If you do, raise your hand or throw it in the chat or just yell it out. Otherwise, transition to master plan. So master plan, we are on page 82 this week, chapter 21. And what's really amazing about this is this is all about respect for our words. And it, it's interesting because we quickly have seen the parallel between how weird, like what our personal responsibilities are and versus the external uh, consequences of that. Like, in other words, when we're taking care of our words, some kind of way, the external words, maybe the people who speak around us, the people who speak to us or the, the inner voices that we have, the way they speak to us. If we start with what we're doing, there's a ripple effect all the way out is basically the thing I want to point out. And so with understanding how we have a respect for our words, and again, the beautiful insight from the Parsha and more about softly speaking, especially when we're instructing and teaching, it's just so beautiful how these match up. So it says, these are our vows, our promises, and our charitable commitments. Now that's interesting. So we're gonna go with what uh, the oral or the uh, the written Torah. The sources are Numbers thirty, verse three, Deuteronomy twenty three, verses twenty two through twenty four. Okay. So the first section promises to God. Immediately. Before I even start reading this, I already thought about what the Mashiach said about not making oaths and not swearing by heaven, not swearing by the throne. And it's just like, that immediately comes to my mind. And the let your yes be yes. 
This is actually found in the commentary on Parsha Matot, where it talks about, it opens up actually in that Torah portion with the laws of vows. And so this is why we have come up with saying Bezrat Hashem, which is with the help of Hashem. Because many of us don't know what kind of challenges could possibly occur that would cause a uh, prevention of us fulfilling our word. So in other words, like, all right, see you tomorrow. And it's like, well, Bezrat Hashem, because what if I can't travel tomorrow, you know, right? Or when we say that we're going to do something, we say, bli neder, which is without a vow. So the word neder means vow in Hebrew. And so when we say bli neder, which is without a vow, this is like, Yes, I will try my best to do this. And if I, for some reason, uh, get behind or forget, you know, uh, obviously I had the best of intentions to do so, but I did not put myself on the hook. And this is another teaching where we should understand that our words matter. So with that being said, this is an insight from Rabbi Trugman Shlita. Uh, from the 28th class on the fundamentals of Kabbalah and Hasidut. For those of you who um, may not know, uh, Rabbi Trugman is an Orthodox rabbi, and he is in Eretz Yisrael, and just a little bit uh, outside of Jerusalem, but pretty close. And he teaches twice a week via Zoom. And he has WhatsApp groups and Telegram groups. He has an Instagram. He has a Twitter. He has a Facebook. He has all sorts of stuff. So the Trugmans.com, if you want to go to that website, you can get connected. But he sends handouts each week uh, that are pertinent to each class. So he has a book called 70 Faces. He teaches that on first day of the week. And then he has also a teaching on the fundamentals of Kabbalah and Hasidut which he teaches on Tuesdays. So this is from the Tuesday class uh, notes. And he brings down about our, our words. And it's talking about the Baal Shem Tov. So this is an insight from Baal Shem Tov. Baal Shem Tov's second teaching is based on the beginning of the verse, a window you shall make for the ark. So we're already back in Parsha Noach. And in Parsha Noach, there's the instruction of how to build the ark. And there's supposed to be a window on the ark. So it says the Hebrew word for window is Zohar, which literally means shining. And the word for ark is Teva. And this also means word. So in other words, when Noah was commanded to build the ark, Hashem said, I need you to build a shining word. Or I need you to build yourself up in the word and cause it to shine. Put some shine in there. Let the light of the word shine. It says the Baal Shem Tov taught that when we recite words of prayer or Torah, we have to make them shine. And this is, uh, I was going back over the drosh on Shabbat, and I was like, why don't I use the word pizzazz? <laughs> I meant to use the word uh, be enthusiastic, you know, but it's the same thing. And 
colloquially as as an ethnic term we use the word sauce put some sauce on it <laughs> so in other words we need to put some sauce on our prayer and our torah we need to make them shine be very enthusiastic about it which is infusing them with deep meaning and intent now shlomo ben david may he live and be well said one of the most amazing things to me. We were doing one of our rumination podcasts a while back. And he was talking about how as you were reciting the words of prayer from your siddur, that you're, you, can ascend, you can cause your thoughts and your intentions to ascend in those words that you're reciting. And I was like, bro, wow. <laughs> You know, like literally you got something on your mind. It's like, well, now that you're davening, put that in a little spaceship so that that can fly up to the throne of Hashem, which is the words of your prayer. By the way, the words of Torah study are equivalent to the words of prayer. How do we know this? Well, the big green book of Tehillim, the Kehot publication of the Psalms with the Midrash and all sorts of beautiful commentary talks about why are there five books of Psalms? Why is the book of Psalms divided into five? Because it's equivalent to the five books of the Torah. Now, what is the book of Psalms? What is the book of Tehillim? Sefer Tehillim is songs. It's prayer. It is the personal Torah study of King David. So turning our prayer into songs and turning our songs into prayer, which is our Torah study being turned into prayer and our Torah study being like a song and all of that. So it's like, you're just interweaving this thing together. And so this right here is what the Baal Shem Tov is talking about. As you are praying, what are you thinking about? Direct that into the words of your prayer. And this is why when we were at the beginning of class, we were talking about individuals who we're praying for as a community that need healing it's like as we're thinking through these concepts tonight we're putting our thoughts and our prayers into those thoughts or those insights and everything that we're studying all the words that are being spoken over this broadcast is about okay Hashem could you please heal Joyce help her with her rehab you know Help Tommy with getting prepared for all that needs to happen to Bezrat Hashem have a beautiful, successful procedure done, you know, and everything that's involved around the, the out care and all of that, you know, spiritually, everyone who we're praying for, where are they mentally? How are their spirits? Because, you know, sometimes when we're sick, it's like we could be very down and depressed. So, the other crucial part of praying for people to be healed is praying for them not to be in a lowly state of mind. So like the whole entire person lifting everything about them up, all of the logistics that are involved, are there prescriptions? What kind of budgeting needs to happen? What kind of payment plans or payment options are available? Who are the caretakers involved? Is there other family members around that can help? Or are we you know, all these things, right? Just detail, detail, detail. And we're putting this into our prayer. We're putting this into our Torah study. And this is bringing down a major infusion as these things are ascending up. 
And it says, by doing so, we enable the words to reach all the physical and spiritual worlds and ultimately God himself and to simultaneously illuminate the deepest recesses of our souls. So here it is again. We are like everything not about us right now. Like, my gosh, I'm praying. I'm thinking of so-and-so. I'm, I'm trying to think about what I'm, my intentions are here. And all the while that's going on, Hashem's like, I'm going to take them and spread this out. I'm going to push this up to my throne. And while I'm doing that, you know, those little uh, challenges and struggles and uh, things that you feel like are holding you back, barriers in your life, I'm going to start shining light towards that. I'm going to start working on you and helping you with things that you need to refine as you're doing this. This is light shining into the deepest recesses of our souls, and we're not even aware of it. This is how Hashem works. This is the whole thing about don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, you know, or let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know, pray what you do in, in private, you know, will be rewarded out in the open. Like all these different concepts and all these different understandings that we have studied and we have been aware of, and Hashem is doing this. So that's happening. And I think we've talked about this before too. I don't remember what the source was, but you know, if you have something that you need prayer for, it's good to find someone else who has, has that same prayer request so that you can pray for them. And as you pray for them, Hashem answers your prayer. So that's totally another thing that's going on. And that's what the Baal Shem Tov is elucidating here. It says the ark becomes a metaphor. So here it is. If you look at another aspect of the, the ark of Noah on a non-literal level, here's what the ark represents. How prayer saves us from the raging waters of the world, offering us shelter and comfort in times of trouble by keeping us constantly connected to God. So when we read about all the animals coming in, all the pears, and then, you know, the, the giants and the people who were outraged and trying to get on the ark and keep Noah and his family off of it. Then when the water comes from below and above, it's boiling water from below. It's warm water raining down from heaven, you know, and then it's a torrential downpour for 40 days. And then there's complete darkness. It's like now we can see that as what is going on while we are praying, while we are studying. We are being sheltered from darkness, all sorts of dangers that are probably innumerable, you know. I was uh, talking to Shlomo today, Shlomo Ben David, and we and I was mentioning to him, you know, it's it's crazy times, it's crazy world, you know, that we're going through right now. But it's beautiful that Hashem has been unlocking so many secrets, illuminating the mind, especially as we're counting the Omer. We're like leveling up each night and we're, we're able to see more light, more truth, you know, go deeper into the Torah portions you know, get deeper and more mature in our observance of the Torah. And it's like, all this is the metaphor of the ark. So these are some of the practical aspects of that. 
So then it goes on to say the Baal Shem Tov, based on his predecessor's teachings, especially those of the Arizal, the Baal Shem Tov gleaned from the Arizal. You ever wonder why Baal Shem Tov was so turned up? Well, one of the people that was considered his teacher is the Arizal. Emphasized the unique opportunity prayer offers to directly connect to God. Reintroducing song and profound kavana, which is deep intent as integral elements of prayer. Shlomo, I see your hand one moment. As integral elements of prayer, he transformed the Jewish people's prayer experience. What had become for many a dry and unfulfilling experience was transformed into joyous, deeply personal, and into a joyous, deeply personal, and spiritual one. All Hasidic thought and custom derives from the Baal Shem Tov's teaching on this matter, which means they derive from the Arizal's teachings on this matter. <laughs> he forged a renewed sense of how to make words of prayer truly shine. All right, Shlomo, take it away. Uh, thanks for the shout out there. <laughs> um, sure, man. Um, you touched on depression and with what I was sharing with you from the Zohar earlier about the meditation on the candle. One of the aspects of flame, and this is an aspect of the Mizbeach Allah, is that flame always rises. The smoke always rises. It elevates. It's elevated. Just like the priest when he walks up the ramp of the Mizbeach Allah, there's no steps. It's a ramp. So you're ascending. So now I think of the imagery that Zohar presents us with, the mystical aspect of overcoming depression mm. and self-centeredness. I just put in the chat for everybody that the performance of mitzvot gets you out of this mindset. Wow. Because when you perform mitzvot, a lot predominantly, it has to do with the community. You're not doing it just for you. It is for that other person that you are doing it for because wow. you are part of a community. You are responsible. Thereby, the Jewish idiom, uh, nefesh echad, we're all one soul. We're all responsible for every one of each other. And likewise, it's, it's like a, an intricate net or a web. Yeah, it's the true I, internet. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's the amazing part. But the thing is, we need to be like the candle. Amen. Burning ever so bright and nice, you know, we unite the Shekinah, the upper Shekinah and the lower Shekinah. We are like the Shekinah when we do these things. Uniting the heavens and the earth. As the yes. Mishak says, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's exactly what you're explaining. Yeah. And it's so powerful. I mean, part of that is respecting God in speech. Right. I just opened up a handbook to volume two, chapter eight, respecting God in speech. You know, we know that there's a lot of people out there that don't have the sufficient reverence for the name that points to Ain Sof. Because the question I'll be asking is, is that all Hashem is to you? True. 
is that is you thinking that you know this you're putting him into a box and ain't so if it's the infinite nothing no thought can come can contemplate him nothing these because he exists beyond space and time but yet he created space and time <laughs> classic paradox you know of imminence and and retraction you know sim soon yeah. um but it just speaks to me volumes that we're like a candle but we need to be a nice steady flame that's always burning like shaul says don't quench the ruach we know that the ruach is the father is the torah because the master said i'm come in my father's name and you don't receive me but if another comes in his own name you'll receive him yeah which that the musar in that one is i think extensive because it speaks about wanting our own personal honor wanting to be recognized and that's not what self nullification is about it's about simply being a vessel to dispense torah that's it not expecting anything in return yeah you know? it really is the pirkei avot that we recited tonight yeah okay so to go on on page 82, it says, just as we're responsible to God for the way we treat our bodies, which was our previous chapter. So last week was treatment of the body. This week is, so are we responsible to God for the way we treat our words? God demands from us what we value ourselves. God demands from oh Slika. God demands from us that we value ourselves highly enough to give full value to our words, even where no one else is affected. Now think about this for one moment. If you don't value yourself, that will lead to you having words that have zero value. And that will lead to you having words that also cause people to devalue themselves. So you're emanating out from yourself. It's a gross term, but you're vomiting out, basically devalue, like everywhere in general, to your environment, to the people around you, to your very own flesh. Because when you speak forth words, they activate things in your flesh, in your atmosphere, and other people who are hearing them. This is why it's so self-incriminating. If we are slandering and assassinating character, pointing fingers, and when we're using uh, foul speech, it's telling everything about you. So what happens when we become um embarrassed right like if someone finds out something about us we go on what is known as the defensive so now hopefully we can all see that really a lot of what's happening in the world today and, and man as much as i hate to say this with ourselves is that we're on the defensive and i want to really shout out leah may she live and be well because she spoke this immediately after I commented in the Musar class 
because I was saying sometimes like when I'm in shul and I, I come and I see people, you know, and I was saying, you know, to make your rounds at Magan Yushenu, Baruch Hashem, it takes a while. So when you show up to shul and you're like, okay, I haven't talked to this person in like a month because I've talked to so-and-so, I talked to this person last time, I was sitting on this end of the egg table, you know, and like all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, you know, so-and-so hadn't talked to me in forever. I hope they're not mad at me, you know? And it's just like, no, we got rounds to make. And you really want to take time for these conversations because many of us, this is the only time we see each other, you know? And so it's just like this whole thing. So I was like, so I was like, my goodness, like, why am I doing this? Like, I just need to focus on being an engaging member of the community and not trying to say that, oh, so-and-so's mad at me. It's like, they're probably not talking to me because they are talking to other people. They may have had, you know, some challenges to overcome this morning. They may be thinking about something, you know, uh, a certain br Braca or, you know, who knows? So Leah said this, she said, we have been hurt before, you know? A lot of us have had past hurts. And so we're kind of working in a sense out of a wound. And I thought that was interesting that she, she mentioned the fact of having a previous hurt. And again, when we are embarrassed or when we're hurt, we get into this defensive space. And sometimes we get irrational. We speak words that we don't even think about. And, and all these types of things. And so when we look at all of the, the horrible speech that maybe we speak over ourselves or other people or into our environment or the things that we allow to be spoken in our space, that's what's going on. There's a devaluing that's happening. There's a lack of respect for words. And yes, Shlomo just mentioned it. It is in the Handbook of Jewish Thought, Volume 2. And I believe he said Chapter 8. And I'm going to just flip there real quick. Yes, reverence for the uh, sacred is chapter nine. Reverence, uh, respecting God and speech is chapter eight. So just like he mentioned before, so there's a whole chapter on this. And when you put chapter eight with chapter nine, it's like this huge combo. And we can quickly understand that if we really clean up our words, we'll clean up our thoughts, we'll clean up our space. You know, again, like we said before, there's many things out of our control, but we can at least take the trash out. So with that being said, the next statement is God demands from us that we value ourselves highly enough to give full value to our words, even where no one else is affected. A promise to God is holy. To break a promise is an act of desecration. So it's one thing for us to be like, yes, I will do that. But it's another thing like I take an oath upon myself and all of this and give your declaration. That's like a double whammy on that one because it's already plain enough that when you speak, there's already a lot of weight there. So now you're going into the Torah and pulling more weight onto what you've spoken. And then to not fulfill it or fall through on it is like horrible. It's a desecration. God does not need your gifts, but you need to give to God. That is to the causes which he holds dear. So what does Hashem hold dear? The poor, the support of the poor, 
the support of the Torah, the synagogue, and the community. So if you're ever looking at where can I give, you know, where can I speak words of life into, speak it into the, into the poor, into the Torah, into the synagogue, and into the community. When it comes to any of these areas, if you have something that's going to come from your mouth that decreases value, that is a time to be silent. The words that you speak, you actually want to use to increase value. And further elucidation on the Pirkei vote that says, be among the disciples of Aharon, lovers of peace and pursuers of peace. So the thing with that is the Midrash is Aharon created narratives. He spoke things into existence that at that current moment weren't necessarily true. But when he spoke these things, they were things that added value. For instance, two people quarreling, he would go to each person separately, which by the way, when you do Lashon Hara, Chas Shalom that we do, so let's just say when Lashon Hara is being done, it's usually never directly with the person, it's always with someone else. So the inverse of that is speaking Lashon Kodesh doesn't have to be directly to the person you want to speak it to. If you want to lift up one of your friends in the shul, you don't necessarily have to go to them. Go to someone else and go, you know, so-and-so, man, like I recognize one of the beautiful insights that they shared with me, or I recognize one of their gifts. And I just want to just tell you like, man, they have a beautiful gift in that, you know, those kinds of things. So Aharon was like, okay, so these two people are fighting. And the opposite of fighting and warfare is shalom and love. All right, so let me go put out some shalom and love. Let me go to this person over here. Hey, did you know so-and-so is very like upset that, you know, y'all aren't talking because they, they're sorry, you know, and, and they, they want to apologize and they can't because you're not talking, you know? so on and so forth. Many more statements could be put into that, you know, like they really wish they could apologize. They really want to see you. They're really crying. They're torn up about it. Then he would go to the other person and be like, again, he really didn't go directly to the source. He didn't bring two of those people together and say, listen, you two, you need to get it together. What's wrong with you? Don't you want to be Talmudim of Mashiach Yeshua? Like, no, he didn't do it that way. He just went out, you know, divide and conquer kind of thing. So he went to the other person, did the same exact thing. So by the time those two people saw each other, called each other, texted each other, they were already trying to be the first to apologize. It's like, dude, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't you know, da, 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 you know, and all this. Aharon, that was one of his many tactics. And what does Pirkei Avot commentary brings down on that? Said that many children were named Aharon after the fact of, there, the reconciliations that would happen, especially, or not, not especially, but particularly in between husband and wives, because there's one thing when, you know, friends and things quarrel, but when a husband and a wife quarrel, yikes, you know, because we don't want to go for divorce. Like that's not our number one. We don't just do a pull string, like divorce is out. It's too much. Our own's like, nope. So when that husband and that wife would reconcile, and when a child would come from that uh, reconciliation, you know, uh, they would name that child Aharon. And it says that there were many Aharons. 
<laughs> during that time. So if you think about the amazingness of that, that, you know, what Aharon is applied to, it's just like he technically made up a story, but it was building truth into reality because what is the ultimate truth that we should be? We should be people who love our fellow as we love ourselves, which is how we love Hashem with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul. So Mashiach Yeshua, obviously knowing this, says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So when we look at uh, those who are lovers of peace and pursuers of peace, one of the names of Hashem is peace. So people who love Hashem and pursue Hashem is what a lover of peace and a pursuer of peace is, a disciple of Aharon, a person who is a peacemaker, and a person who is known by their love, which means they're a Talmud of Yeshua. Okay, so that's where I'm going to stop on page 82. I'm going to jump to page 83. And then it says, in battle with sin and spurs, or and as spurs to duty. So that's kind of a chunky title. It says, in the past, if a Jew found that he had a moral weakness, for example, he was prone to over, overeating. Wow. If a Jew found that he had a moral weakness, for example, he was prone to overeating. He would make a vow to deny himself certain foods for a time. Same thing could be said for the Nazir. Shout out to Tractate or Sliga uh, Parsha Naso, which brings down the Sota, the Nazir, the Birkat Kohanim, the priestly blessing. But in there, the, the Nazir who takes a vow to abstain from wine, he that's another thing as far as like, I don't want to have strong beverage, you know, like wine that could lead me astray. So I'm going to refrain from it. So denying ourselves of this, and it says, then become forbidden to him, just as if it had been forbidden by God in the Torah. So in other words, our words are so strong that if we come up with something that we forbid to ourselves, especially in the form of a vow, it becomes on the same level as a do not mitzvah. Any of the mitzvot that say, you know, don't kindle a fire on Shabbat or, you know, any of those things like that. Our vows have such a weight that they can become a negative mitzvah. And if you quickly run that up the scale, how much, you know, is it for us to vow, what the, what the consequences are for us violating Torah? So now we've elevated our words into this space and now we violate it because we fall through on our vow or we can't fulfill it, you know? And it's like, you shouldn't really vow. If you have to, obviously understand the ramifications and go for it. But understand that if you violate your vow, it's no, it's no better than you actually going into the Torah and saying, what's this mitzvah? Okay, I'm going to violate it. And it's like, this came from your own words. So our words are, are way more important than we think. And if we're seeing all of this external activity with our speech, like as far as the weight they hold, what they do to our space, what they do to people, think about this when you need to um, 
when you need to speak a blessing over yourself or when you need to talk to yourself. If it's working like this on the outside, how much more so will it work on your inside? Because, you know, if you're feeling some type of way, as they say, it's like, okay, so I'm sad. Why am I sad? What's going on? You know, you start speaking to yourself. Come on, emotions. Talk to me. What's the dealio? This is the power that we're gaining right now as we complete Sfirat HaOmer. That we're beginning to get more and more sovereignty and dominion over our emotional makeup, which is connected to the, the desires of the flesh and our animal soul. We're getting more and more dominion and sovereignty over it. So when we feel like mad or we feel like sad or we feel like whatever, contrary to Hashem and pulling us away from him and distracting us, we can now go, okay, hold up. Excuse me. What is going on? Why, what's happening? And our words are now that power is being activated. So now that we can grab a hold of that, take those words captive, you know, maybe those negative voices that tell us we're not good enough or what's wrong with you and things like that. It's like, what do you mean I'm not good enough? Talk to me. Tell me why I'm not good enough. Who's saying this? Am I saying, do I really think I'm not good enough? Because Hashem totally was like, yeah, I'm going to create you and I'm going to put you in the world and I'm going to cause you to be born during this particular Torah portion. I'm going to give you this many days of life and I'm going to give you this name. I'm going to give you this divine mission and purpose. So where's the you're not good enough coming from? I mean, really? Because, you know, a lot of where that comes from is unfortunately media. Social media is like the worst with that. That's why it's really amazing for those of us who are Torah observant on social media, like subdue that thing. You control your social media. What are you going to post about? Don't follow trends, set them. Maybe no one will listen in the beginning, but we all can relate to that one uh, event where someone is in the room and they're like, ha 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 ha, they're bust out laughing or say a joke or whatever. And everyone's like, well, what's going on over there? And then everyone else catches on and you're like, oh, that is funny. You know, and the whole room ends up laughing, you know, and it's, it's contagious, it's infectious. We already know our words are powerful. They're contagious and they're infectious. We, if we speak bad words, we cannot get them back. It's like cutting open a pillow and throwing the feathers into the wind. Well, since we know that's true, what about opening up a bottle of truth, of pure oil, fragrant oil, you know, a name that is reputable, Start putting these things out. You know, this is why one of the coolest things that I love doing with Instagram is taking pictures of sources and posting them and just being like, uh, it's out there. You know, I don't, I, I ain't trying to fight nobody. I'm just, boom. I just want some good words in the atmosphere. You know, other people who are doing the same thing. I'm like, oh yeah, reshare that. My goodness, that source is ridiculous. You know, when prayer requests are being submitted, because we have a lot of them. The cool thing about that is you are now creating a power source. You ever think about that? 
you are creating, uh, what do they call those things? Uh, power plants, you know, uh, transformer fields. You know, if the community needs electrical power to run to the houses, you got to put the power plant and the, uh, all of those things in place so that the electricity can flow through the wires. Well, when you submit a prayer request, it's like you're engaging something that will be a source of power that will spread to the community. Now, the thing is, everyone needs to tap into that because sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, prayer request. Oh, my gosh. Can people quit asking for prayer? You know, like we have 15 things on the list right now. Run out of paper. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> Don't see it as a threat. See it as empowerment because that's really what it is. Hashem wants our prayers. We know from the sages that the patriarchs, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov were all barren. You know, like with uh, regards to uh, Sarah and Rivka, Rachel, Leah, Bilha, Zilpah, there was all some infertility on different parts of those uh, relations. And the thing is, why was there infertility there? because Hashem coveted the prayers of the righteous. Now, when we look at that, think about the things that are happening in our lives that are causing us to be like, oh my gosh, I need, I need prayer. I need help. We should start at home for sure. Start praying for your needs. If you have things that you know you need prayer for, don't just throw it off on the community. Don't just throw it off on your friends. You need to start praying too. But what you have done is you've created this ridiculous power source that will now cause other people to cry out to Hashem. And Hashem is going to cause light to start circulating and flowing around. Because what else happens when you pray for someone? You start thinking about them. And because you're praying for them, chances are you're not going to be upset with them. And you're going to find ways to not be upset with them because you're like, I got to pray for them. This is a problem that they have, and I don't want them to have a problem. So your, your whole like psyche, consciousness, the way you perceive them changes, transforms. So another way that Lashon Hara is like annihilated is through the prayer requests. And this is something that I don't even know if we pay attention to. But it's really hard to speak words that are evil speech when you're busy praying for someone. Maybe Hashem is kind of helping us, being like, listen, I don't want to give you any time to speak evil speech. So here's some more prayer requests. Come on. <laughs> so I don't know. It's not like we need to, you know, run on being hurt or whatever and like start just going, okay, I need prayer because my door is falling off the frame or I need prayer because I stubbed my toe, like not all of that kind of stuff, but like serious things, you know? Okay, so I will finish Bezrat Hashem with this story called Adam's Donation. Don't ever really get any story time in Bet Midrash. Tonight, we got some story time. It says on page 84, Adam was doomed to die on the same day that he ate the forbidden fruit. But God, now I don't know how many of you are, uh, are from this part of Edom, but the whole thing was like, family, let me tell you, this and this has been going on in my life and boy, it's been working me, but I tell you the devil is a lie. 
and this is happening, and this is happening, but God. And then the organ starts playing. Everybody's like, oh. It's funny. Like, it's it doesn't have to be that it's, it's emphatic. It's like, no, just listen. But God. Adam had a but God moment. So, like, it's just crazy that, you know, Edom, where in the world did you get that from? It's like, oh, Genesis chapter three. Oh, okay. Cool. Anyway, so... <laughs> Sorry, y'all. I don't know. I just I had a flashback. As soon as I saw but God, I was like, oh my gosh, t-shirts. Okay, anyway. But God extended the time limit to one of his days. If you ever hear the statement of why are you following the law? There's no grace in the law. Um, but God gave grace to someone who was supposed to die. Because they completely desecrated Hashem. Did you know us eating from the fruits of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a desecration to Hashem? It's like making a vow and breaking it. It's like spitting in the face of one of the Zadikim, throwing the Torah on the ground, chasve shalom. And Hashem goes, oh, really? That's how you're going to be? Well, I'm not going to give you the full force of what that should cause as a consequence. So you really want to talk about grace. I mean, that's what we're talking about right here, right now. It says, God extended the time limit to one of his days. That is a thousand years. Yet we find that Adam lived only 930 years. How come? The rabbis tell us in one of their parables, that God showed Adam all the generations of his descendants, all the souls destined to live on the earth, and the years allotted to each one. Get this. Adam had such a level of knowledge and understanding that he knew when people would be born and when people would die even before they would come into existence. Can we say a lot on that for a moment? Because we don't even know when we're going to uh, die. We didn't even know when we were going to be born. Adam was like, oh, yeah, so-and-so. Yeah, Rabbi Akiva is totally coming. Everybody look out. Rabbi Akiva is coming. <clears throat> so God showed him one soul who would pass by the world stillborn. In other words, he was going to be a nafli, is the way the Talmud puts it, which is a miscarriage. And it says, by the way, the whole connection to the nafli and the miscarriage, there's a Talmud tractate in Sanhedrin that talks about this. And this is connected to why the Mashiach is considered to be one who will die. is because one of the names of Mashiach is Bar Nafli, which means son of the fallen one. And it's so emphatic that the two rabbis that are talking, the rabbi who's listening to this goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you saying the Mashiach is going to die? And it's like, yeah. Did not Hashem say he's going to raise up the falling sukkah of David? That's connection to the death of the Mashiach. So one of the things, why did Mashiach Yeshua suffer death? It's because he's called Barnafli. 
Yes, it's connected to we need redemption. Yes, it's connected to dying for our sins. Yes, it's connected to salvation, giving us victory over death in our life. But it's also connected to his very name. And remember, the study of a name from a Jewish perspective is your mission and your purpose. It tells a lot about the essence of who you are. So therefore, if a person is named son of the fallen one who is destined to die, that means part of the existence of whoever has that name means that they're going to experience a death. Never thought about why the Mashiach's death is so important is because it is testimony to him being the son of David, which the whole thing about the Mashiach is he has to be a descendant of David. Many people may think so-and-so's Mashiach or want to be Mashiach or proclaim themselves to be Mashiach, but guess what? Part of the mission of the Mashiach is death. This is why Shaul went to the extent he went. I believe it's in Philippians talking about humility, talking about the fact that Mashiach had to empty himself of his former glory, had to subject himself to coming into the likeness of a man and even into a slave to death. And the worst death of them all, which is publicly humiliated by being hung on a tree which is all the way back to what caused death in the first place, a tree. So a whole treatise there. So it goes on to say that he saw this stillborn, no years allotted to it. This was the soul of King David. Adam took pity on this soul and asked God whether it was possible to donate years. Now, this is crazy because we, we know, like, if we're really passionate, we care about something, it's like, my goodness, what I wouldn't give to see this happen, you know, right? So Adam was like, King David needs to live. Oh, my goodness. Like, what can I do? Oh, let me give some of my life for him. Let me give my life so that he can live. Let me die so that he can live. Let me decrease so that he may increase. I mean, start running the gamut on this thing. Like, look at all these connections. So it says, Adam took pity on this soul and asked God whether it was possible to donate years. Yes, it is possible. With man, things are impossible. But with Hashem, all things are possible. Adam already knew that. He was just like, well, what about this? And the thing is, just because something is possible, like with Hashem doing the impossible, right? doesn't mean that we need to bank on that. We don't need to go, Hashem, it's in, it, nothing's impossible with you, so I need you to blink. You know, it's like, no, that's not how it works. We need to understand there's no limit to what Hashem could do, but what, what are we seeking? What are we asking? What, what's going on? Why are we doing this? You know, and again, I go back to our beautiful conversation that we had at our Pesach Seder this year, Baruch Hashem, where we were learning about the potential that we have in this generation to do miracles like they have done in previous generations. We read about a beautiful sage who was on his way to, to rescue some fugitives uh, during the siege of Rome, during the, uh, the times of Shmad, which is destruction of Jerusalem. And he was blocked by a flowing river. 
And he talked to the river and was like, river, but if you don't get out the way, if you don't calm down, I need to get across. And the river was like, it's, it's debatable whether you'll be obedient to Hashem, so why should I be obedient to you? You know, and we read this whole thing. But the point was that we can do miracles and why would we want to do miracles? It's not about being able to do miracles as opposed to why does the miracle need to be done? The Yom Suf, when we got to the Sea of Reeds, why did it split? It didn't split because, oh my gosh, let's get, let's start miracles. It's like, no, we need to get out of Egypt. And the Egyptians, they need to be drowned because they drowned the firstborn and they, they drowned many of the sons of the children of Israel. So Mita, can I get Mita, measure for measure? They have to suffer the consequences of their actions. So, so many things in there, but I digress back over here. It says, then said Adam, I will donate 70 years of my life so that his soul may live. Very well, said God, just sign this piece of paper confirming the arrangement. Adam did so. There's a beautiful midrash, and I believe it is Legends of the Jews, that says, who was the validator of this document? None other than the Malakashem known as Memtet, the same one who signed off on the document of Esav, giving his birthright to Yaakov. So Esav, what gives, bro? Why are you all upset about a document you signed off on? You didn't read the fine print? I don't know. What's going on? But anyway, that's what's connected here to this piece of paper that the parable is bringing down. Memtet signed off on it. He's like, approved, validated. So Adam did so. 930 years passed. And God said to Adam, well, Adam, time's up. You have lived 930 years. Wait a minute, said Adam. Didn't you say I could live a full day? That is a thousand years. So notice a day of Adam equals a day of Hashem. So there's one time where a human being kind of had a likeness to Hashem or a resemblance of some sort. Could you imagine being like, okay, what time is it? You know, it's like, oh, it's been 320 years as opposed to it's been three hours. <laughs> like that was a Dom's reality. Mind blowing to myself. But it says, wait a minute, said a Dom. Didn't you say I could live a full day? That's a thousand years. But didn't you donate 70 years to that poor little soul with no years? Asked God. Certainly not, said Adam. Whoever heard of anyone donating part of his own life to save someone else? Okay, 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 wait a minute. What have we been reading and talking about this whole time? Vows, words, actions, thoughts, right? Like all, this whole thing. My goodness, Adam, it's like he completely forgot. Like, dude. Now, here's the, here's the crazy part. This is the danger in us and our words when they're without thought. This is why saying Bezrat Hashem or Bli Netter is so important. Understanding why our yes is yes is so important because 
we can be so caught up in our speech that we will say something and it's like, I don't remember saying that. For people who have taught Torah, okay? And again, teachers, students, you know, former uh, Torah discussions that you have logged on to, do you remember some of the things that you've said? It's like, I said that? It's like, yeah, that was an amazing drop. It's like, huh, I don't remember saying that. It's like, dude, you're cooler than you thought you were. Like, I don't know what you're thinking. Like, I remember, I wrote it down. You know, it's like, man. so anyway, just saying, as far as the takeaway from tonight's uh, class, we need to understand our words are like, they leave an impression and they leave so much of an impression that we can forget that we made that impression. The, 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 the realization of Adam going, my goodness, I saw David, can we do something about this? I give him 70 of my years. And then it's like, okay, time's up. It's time for those 70 years to be extracted. It's like, whoa, 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 hold up. I didn't agree to this. Anyway, certainly not, said Adam. Whoever heard of anyone donating part of his own life to someone else? If you don't remember, said God, perhaps this piece of paper with your signature will remind you. We learn from this that what may appear from our present vantage point to be a very small sacrifice may appear a very large sacrifice when it is due for payment. There's a sign in the uh, on the uh, mirrors. I don't know if they still put this on cars because now there's like the blind spot indicator and it's like, hold up the backup camera. Like you're getting way too close. You're about to run into something. But there used to be a little uh, phrase put on the, the, the side mirrors of cars that said objects um, in mirror may appear closer. So in other words, like if you're looking in the mirror, just because it looks like, oh, that's way back there. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't let the perception fool you. That's actually way closer. It's like, OK, so you made a, a small statement now. You made what seemingly to you was like no big deal. But when it comes time for that to be enacted and engaged, it's like, whoa, whoa, I didn't agree to this. And it's like, yes, you did. Think about this with the Mashiach. What did he say? You will have to give an account for every thoughtless word that you uttered. You're like, dude, I said a little white lie. I just said a little comment like, ooh, you know, it's like, well, that is on the record. And we're going to talk about it eventually. Now, I'm really, uh, I'm very like, whoa, about that. Because one of the crazy things that is kind of not really discussed and talked about. And instead of it being discussed and talked about, it's really argued about. And there are debates and things like that that exist on this. Don't have to go very far to find them. But when it comes to understanding that we will be judged by the Holy One, blessed is he, one day, it really doesn't have anything to do with what we believe. That's hard because I don't know about you, but I came from a background where my salvation, my uh, acceptance into heaven 
was based off of belief, apart from my words, apart from my actions. And this is a, a, a whole new thing for me, understanding that the Mashiach himself said something that I was like, like, I don't even know what you just said. I can't hear you. I'm three, I'm three or 30,000 feet up in the air. You're way down there. I don't even know what you said. He's like, no, I said, you're going to have to give an account for every thoughtless word that you uttered. You're going to have to give an account for why you said so-and-so was fat. I mean, it's things like that where you're just like, what? I didn't say that. Shem was like, listen, right here. This is why Yaakov chapter one, I, I meditated on that chapter today. I was like, wait a minute. Come on, man. Number one, in that chapter, it tells us verbatim, literally, and very succinctly what the definition of religion is. It had nothing to do with Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Christianity, Judaism. It had nothing to do with any of those. What does it say? What is what is religion? I'm going to read it to you. This was like, wait a minute. James was like, in case anyone didn't know, this is what religion is. James, Yaakov, the letter Yaakov wrote, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is futile, pure, undefiled religion before our God and Father is this. This is what religion is, basically. To care for orphans and widows in their distress, not your distress, theirs. In other words, what did Shlomo just mention to us on so many levels with the meditation of the flame, selflessness, the doing of mitzvot, that it's not for us, it's for other people, it's for the community. Uh, over here, that's what religion is. It's not about us, it's actually about others. Namely, people who are in distress. Among those people, for sure, orphans and widows. And not to mention the rest of the verse. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. In other words, what kind of mess and what kind of stuff that, uh, you know, because when you, uh, you have clothes, right? So if someone spills their drink or they throw paint or you brush up against the wall, all these different things get your garments dirty. Well, Judaism teaches what are the garments? We have our thoughts, our speech, and our deeds. If any of those things get dirty and Hashem calls us to account for them, he's like, uh, I sent you down in clean clothes. Like, what is this? We're to return our garments to Hashem unsullied. This is why, what does Yehuda say? Jude, the letter of Jude, he says, able to present you spotless, blameless, and faultless. Like, that's totally in there. How do we do that, though? There's a whole process to how you clean your garments. It is through repentance. It's through Torah. It's through prayer acts of kindness. Yom Kippur, Handbook of Jewish Thought, Volume 2, has sections on this how to clean your garments, how to keep clean clothes. 
And one of the biggest ways to clean your clothes is with your speech. You can clean yourself up with your speech. You can clean yourself up with your thoughts. This is why, what does Shaul tell us in the, in the letter to the Romans? He says, present yourselves as living sacrifices to Hashem. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he's already covered thought, speech, and action just in those two little uh, entries. These are some of the things that it's like, whoa. And this is all connected to the Parsha this week with words. With words, we're finding out what we should look like. And in case we forget, there's a, 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 a template, there's a page, there's a picture, there's the Torah to show us. Isn't it interesting in the same chapter that show, uh, uh, Yaakov in, in, in chapter one goes into what does it mean to forget our reflection? It's like being a hearer of the word, but not doing it. And this is what I was really talking about at the beginning of class tonight, that we don't want to get through pure chaos vote. We want pure chaos vote to get through us. We don't want to just hear and see these words and be like, wow, amazing bookmark. It's like, no, you are the bookmark. And guess what? When we understand that, we should know the primary battleground is our home. This is another meaning to why the Mashiach Yeshua said the your enemies are going to be the members of your household. If you take that little, that beautiful diamond, spin that thing and look at it from a different perspective, kind of like we read in the Pirkei Avot, it's like it says this, but also that here's what's inside of that. It's not that they're your enemies in a way for you to fight them. They're your enemies as your as in the terms of your sparring partners. It's like when we're studying Torah, it's like we're locked in combat. The house of study is like, it looks like everybody's fighting each other. So-and-so is disagreeing with so-and-so. He's like, man, I tell you, you know, I heard this said in the rabbi name of so-and-so. And then so-and-so like, oh, yeah, well, I disagree with that because this source says, you know, and they're going back and forth. And then at the end of it, everybody's like, like, Brugashim, we learned so much tonight. This was amazing. Master Plan has a whole chapter on this. It's like, are, are these people bipolar? Because like when that when that when that Braca was said for Torah study, boy, it was loud in there. You couldn't hear anything. And the rabbi and their disciple were like going back and forth, like, dude, do you hate him? Like, you accepted this guy as your teacher. And then everybody said the closing Braca for Torah. And they're leaving arm in arm from the house of study to go home in Shalom. It's like, wait, were they really fighting? Or like, what's going on? No, the iron was sharpening iron. Because what happens when someone shares an insight and it's like, well, wait a minute. Are we really sure about this? Because if you look over here in this source, it also says this. Right. And so you keep doing this. And this is what we see in the Talmud. That there's these disagreements all the time, but they're not disagreements out of spite, out of bitterness. They're actually disagreements that bring out more understanding to the topic at hand. And so, as we have bookmarked and tabbed things that we've read in our Torah portions and our studies and, and our prayers and, and all the things that we write down and we're like, wow, that's a great thought. Now you have to become that thought. You have to become that bookmark. You have to become that tab and you need to start at home. So we learned tonight, speak words that give value. So now 
it's time to go home and look at your 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 spouse look at your child look at your furniture look at your name you know look at yourself in the mirror and you gotta now start speaking these things over yourself speaking value and you got to start there because if you can do it at home you can do it anywhere because at home we have more challenges to work through sometimes it's like man I was upset with so-and-so before I left. Now when I get home, I gotta, oh, okay, I gotta find some valuable words. Ooh, ooh, Lord, help me. You know, like, sometimes it'd be like that. You know, if you live by yourself, you know, you may think that's a bracca, but it's not, because now you're dealing with the voices in your head and they're like, maybe they outnumber you. So you're just like, I'm gonna call somebody and we're gonna, me and this person, we're going to talk valuable words. I'm like, listen, I know it's not all about me, but I need you right now to help me speak some valuable things over myself. Because I got a bunch of voices in my head right now. They tripping and they need to tie their shoes. OK, so like, what's the deal? You know, this is why having a hover or a havruta is important. Someone that you can text, someone that you can share insights with, someone you can share prayer requests with, someone that you can talk personal things with. You know, have that real relationship in your life, you know, go meet for coffee or something and be like, listen, this is what's going down. I haven't told anybody about this, but I need to talk to you about some things that's going on. I guarantee you, you will, you will going to have some, some ridiculous breakthroughs. And then because you're taking care of home base, the rest is, the rest is commentary as they say. You know, like this is the main mitzvah of the Torah, the, the main mitzvah of Torah. The rest is commentary. So you start at home. The rest is is a done deal. It's that's it. So, um, yeah. So that's basically the class for tonight. And uh, we're gonna count the Omer now. So Baruch Hashem. Uh, there's a hand up. Oh, hey Shlomo, what you got? Um, when you touched on love your neighbor as yourself. Um, uh, Rabbi Elie Malik Bitterman in Torah Wellsprings did a little snippet on that word, Ureaka. And the root for that word is raw, bad, hmm. or wicked. Lala Tov to those who have to leave. <laughs> yep, Lala Tov. <laughs> um, so it's as if it's intimating that we need to avoid the mere appearance or thought of wickedness towards your neighbor. And so I started reading from uh, Dessler, where he says, the mitzvah you shall love your neighbor as yourself can be understood on three different levels, each one more profound than the other, doing away with jealousy. Ramban explains that loving your neighbor as yourself cannot be taken literally. A person naturally loves himself more than anyone else. We have a law that Saving one's own life takes precedence over saving someone else's life. Ramban therefore explains that the mitzvah is to remove all jealousy from one's heart. A person should want his friend to have all the good things he wants for himself. I mean, these are Ramban's words. It's not keeping up with the Joneses. You want the Jonesy, your neighbor, to have the good things in life, just like you want to have the good things in life. At the core of what the Ramban is saying here is, 
stop comparing yourself to anyone else because Hashem is working with you on an individual basis as part of the community. Yeah. A person may love his neighbor to the extent that he wants him to be blessed in some respects and not in others. He may want him to be rich, but not clever or vice versa. Even if he wants him to have all kinds of good things, riches, property, honor, knowledge, and wisdom, but not to the same degree that he himself has them, he's not observing this mitzvah. That is a false balance. And it is to'iva to Adonai, but a just weight is his delight. That's Proverbs 11.1. 1. So if you remember the, the amazing point about that is that Rabbi Trugman actually brought this up in 70 Faces this week, that when we have unjust scales, that yep. incites or stirs up and brings Am Amalek. And so when doubts and fruitless labor, which is uh, the actual definition of Am Amalek, is uh, fruitless labor, and it's like toiling that's like uh, futile. So when we have these unjust scales in our life, we actually cause these things to happen where like, oh, I'm like, I don't know, I'm unsure, you know, and you also have just things that you're just spinning your tires, so to speak on. So that was interesting as far as the juxtaposition that was taught on that. Yeah, it's um, also reminded of the verse in Mishle that uh, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it come the issues of life. Right. You know, it really think of the master's words when he says, uh, it's not what goes into the heart of man that defiles him or makes him unclean. That's what comes out. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, you know, he goes through the list. Right. These defile the man. But even worse than those sins is, of course, Lashon Hara, the most grievous of all sins. Because the, the one thing you do with Lashon Hara, you arouse the accusing angels, which you don't want because the minute you uh, it leaves your tongue, that angel is standing right there. Right. You should not have done that. You're guilty. Just like that, you know? Yeah, and those become blockers to uh, actual mitzvot that we want to accomplish. Yeah. So if you ever wonder why you struggle sometime to do a particular thing you set out to do, that's another uh, aspect of uh, self-examination is, has there been any Lashon Hara that I've done? You know, and this is the, uh, the benefit of what the bedtime Shema brings out is to kind of have a recount of your day. Like, how did it go? What, where was I in my thinking? Where was I in my speaking? You know, how did I do with my challenges? You know, uh, what are some of the things I did really well, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I think of the Ram call and Mashila Yeshirim just to end it there that, Examine your motive for doing the mitzvah. Does the benefit outweigh the performance of the mitzvah itself? Or does your kavana fall in the right place in regards to that mitzvah? Is it yourself that you're benefiting or is it the person who you're performing it for benefiting greater than you? Wow. 
Hashem. All right, so we're going to uh, count the Omer now. So on your screen, we have the, uh, the Bracha. So I'm going to stand for the Bracha. There we go. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Asher Kitshanu B'Mitzvotah V'Tigmanu Al Sefirat HaOmer. Today is 25 days, which is three weeks and four days of the Omer. May the merciful one restore unto us the service of the Bet HaMikdash to its place. Speedily in our days, Amen, Selah. Mashiach now. For the choir master, a song with instrumental music, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his countenance shine upon us forever, that your way be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. The nations will extol you, O God. All the nations will extol you. The nations will rejoice and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples justly and guide the nations on earth forever. The peoples will extol you, O God. All the peoples will extol you, for the earth will have yielded its produce, and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us, and all from the farthest corners of the earth shall fear him. We implore you by the great power of your right hand, release the captive, accept the prayer of your people, strengthen us, purify us, awesome one, mighty one. We beseech you, guard as the apple of the eye, those who seek your oneness. Bless them, cleanse them, bestow upon them forever your merciful righteousness powerful holy one and your abounding goodness guide your congregation only an exalted one turn to your people who are mindful of your holiness accept our supplication and hear our cry you who knows secret thoughts blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever master of the universe you have commanded us through Moshe, your servant to count sefirah talmer in order to purify us from our evil and uncleanness. As you have written in your Torah, you shall count for yourselves from the day following the day of rest, from the day on which you bring the Omer as a wave offering. The counting shall be for seven full weeks. Until the day following the seventh week shall you count 50 days, so that the souls of your people, Yisrael, may be cleansed from their defilement. Therefore, may it be your will, Adonai, our God, and the God of our forefathers, that in the merit of the Sefirat HaOmer, which I counted today, that the blemish that I have caused in the Sefirah of Netzach Shebnetzach be rectified, and I may be purified and sanctified with supernal holiness. May abundant bounty thereby be bestowed upon all the worlds. May it rectify our Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama, from every baseness and defect, and may it purify and sanctify us with your supernal holiness. Amen. Selah. So that is our Omer for tonight. I want to uh, go ahead and go back to our handbook of Jewish thought uh, to go over where we uh, left off last week.
in chapter five. So five two says, if this is page 59, if you have Handbook for Jewish Thought, volume one. And I want you to think of the, the phrase, the essence of Yeshua. Who is he really when we talk about him? So 5.2 says, it is for this reason that the Torah contains many commandments. It is thus taught God wanted to benefit Yisrael. He therefore gave them Torah and commandments in abundance. The essence of Torah is its commandments. Now, if you've been a part of the signal thread, there was an amazing outpouring last week about the tree of souls. It's a very mystical uh, commentary from the Arizal. And it all basically can be summed up in this as far as like a simple way to put it, is that the tree is the Zadik. So the one who is the righteous one, the one who connects us to Hashem is likened to a tree. And birds hang out in where? Trees. And in the mystical aspect of this Torah teaching, it said the birds are really connected with souls. So the souls, when we look at the allegory of birds in the tree, they nest in the tree. The souls nest in the Zadik. The souls nest in the one who connects us to Hashem. So, I mean, it's a it's a whole lot, and I'm really doing a poor job of like expounding upon it. But it's a very deep um, discussion that actually took place, and I was like blown away. I'm sitting back, like, are we all talking about this right now? This is crazy. There's a whole chapter in the Messiah text known as the Bird's Nest, and it has to do with the temple, the Jews, Mashiach, and exile. And it's connected to the mitzvah that we find later in Deuteronomy, where it says when you happen upon a nest, not that you went out and looked for it, but you were just minding your own business. And it's like, oh, there's a bird's nest here. Well, if you want to take the eggs, you have to send away the mother birds so that you can take the babies. And it says, and the commentary to this mitzvah that this hastens the arrival of the Mashiach. Now, in the Messiah text, it says the mother bird is representative of the Jewish people and the babies are connected to the Mashiach. So when you really think about what we're talking about here, that Hashem is like, I want to benefit Israel. So I'm going to give them mitzvot. And the essence of those mitzvot is the Mashiach. In other words, Yisrael is giving birth to, or potentially given the opportunity to give birth to the Mashiach. Because the mitzvot should be the fruits of our union and our connection with Hashem, which are likened to offspring. So like the mother bird having the babes and the nest and the tree and the zadik, which is why when we are inside the Mashiach, now we can talk about the yoke of the Torah. So that was really mystical. 
but this was something that you know I just wanted to to publicize because that that uh, conversation and that tour discussion was like it was mind blowing. And then to go into the Messiah text and read about this was extra icing on the cake. But when we talk about really what's the deal with the commandments, they're they're bringing out an abundance. They're like a, the fragrance or the perfume, if you will. You know, when when you uh, when you get clean, you know, you get dressed for your day, you know, you add a little fragrance to, you know, who you are. That's what the mitzvot are in a certain sense. You know, there are beautification treatments to the soul. And what's so crazy about this is, is they get um, put into this little peg hole of like, why you want to do that? That's too uh, oppressive. You know, I have things that I'm trying to do. And it's like, well, they're the mitzvot, you know. So in 5.3, it says there are basically two types. Oh, and I can't forget the Mashiach judges by smell. So when it comes to the judgment of the Mashiach by the smell, what kind of aroma are we giving off? Is it fragrance? You know, what caused the, the offerings in the temple to be a pleasing aroma into the nostrils of Hashem? It was our repentance. And it was the fact that the only reason we were bringing offerings is because Hashem gave us a mitzvah to do so. So it really wasn't about the offering as much as it was of who wants to do my will. Wow, that is so amazing to me. And this is part of the judgment that we undergo when Mashiach is going to judge us by our smell. Who really wanted to please Hashem? And through what we're doing with the mitzvot, we're either creating a fragrant aroma or we're not. And that's what we have to always remember when, when every time we have a, an opportunity to repent, because we talk about repenting every day, talk about repenting every yom tov, you know, it seems like we're always talking about it. It's like, yeah, because why? What am I doing with the mitzvot? 5.3 says this. There are basically two types of commandments. And in some places, the Torah mandates a certain action. There is a positive or mandatory commandment, which is a mitzvah aseh. So this is like something you shall do, like a positive commandment is what, how it's called. It says, in other places, the Torah prohibits certain actions. This is a negative or prohibitive commandment, which is a mitzvah lo ta'aseh. This is something you shall not do, something you shall not make. And it says, there is a tradition that God included 613 commandments in the Torah, of these, 248 are positive, while 365 are negative. Currently, there are 369 active mitzvot out of the 613. And it's interesting that on page 60 in the Handbook for Jewish Thought, Volume 1, that it says there is a tradition, which is if you look at the Ramban on Sefer HaMitzvot, Shorish 1 from the Vilna edition, page 1a, that's where it elucidates that there are 613 mitzvot in the Torah. So if you needed a source, why are we all just saying there's 613? Because if you literally go through the Torah and start counting commandments, 
you won't be able to count 613. Just like when we talk about there are 248 limbs or organs to the human body, there are not literally 248. It's a tradition because what the sages call limbs, we don't call them limbs or organs. So it's the same thing with the mitzvot. So this is why one of the things with our Torah observers, we have to understand when we're uh, presenting ourselves, if anyone's going like, oh, why do you do that? Why do you do this? It's like, well, we follow this tradition. I realize it is past 930. <laughs> wow, caught up in the word. My goodness. Okay, so we'll end it there. We'll put a pin in it as Rabbi Mollet, may he live and be well, likes to say, and we will recite the bracha for concluding our tour study time. Thank everyone for joining. Uh, I know tonight was uh, all over the place, but prayerfully we uh, can all take away that we need to have words that bring value and it starts with valuing ourselves and the rest will take care of it. So I will share my screen for the closing bracha. Page 143 in your Sidur. Barukata or Slika, page 142 for the Hebrew. Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Torat Barukata Adonai Mashiach now. Tov to everyone. And may you have a wonderful and blessed and amazing week and enjoy the 25th day of our Omer. Lalito, go to.